Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. This morning, the ACLU filed a federal lawsuit challenging the designation of a musical fan base as a criminal gang. I'd like to introduce the plaintiffs, the Insane Clown Posse. We're going to war with the FBI. We made USA Today's worst album of the year, GQ's worst artist of all time. We embrace the hate. People hate what they don't understand. Juggalos are still a group that is reviled and misunderstood. We're just one big family. We look out for each other. All of your family. His music isn't for moms. The FBI designation is unprecedented. The ACLU, they don't play. And it wasn't just about representing a bunch of people who painted their face. Our daughter's four years old, so are they going to consider her a gang member? This is a case that is important enough to go to the Supreme Court. It's fair to say that some were gang members. You know, the music is violent. If this were to happen to a band that America liked, the country would be up in arms about this. I'm an attorney. Can I speak to you? Are you with the ATF? We should point out one of them flicked us off on his way out. Stop and take us out of the equation. Look what they're saying. I am not a gang member. I am not a gang member. I am not a gang member. If having bad taste in music was a crime, every parrot head in the world would be on the gang list. If the government can target a group of people based on their musical taste, they can target a group of people based on any reason at all. You're making history. We're the good guys here today. We don't do something about it. Who's next? Where would it stop? Without these freedoms, we are not the United States of America. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 394. Releasing December 10 on digital and on demand is the United States of Insanity a documentary that explores the shock rap group Insane Clown Posse and their fight against the FBI, who in 2011 classified their fans, known as the Juggalos, as a gang. A fascinating delve into issues of artistic expression, freedom of speech, and the overreach of government. The United States of Insanity also succeeds in presenting the humanity behind what some have labelled the world's most hated band. And joining me now to talk about the United States of Insanity is one of the film's directors, Tom Putnam. Tom, I thank you so very much for joining me today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting watching this movie and reading up about it. So seven years ago, yourself and then your co-director, Brenda Sanchez, you were reaching out to the Insane Clown Posse. You want to make a documentary about them. And they're like, oh, that's cool. We're about to do a press conference uh, because we're suing the FBI. Um, I imagine that would have been a whirlwind of a day. Can you just talk me through what that day was like for you, both yourself and Brenda? Because I'm sure you guys were packing all your stuff and heading right out to Michigan right at that moment. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so Brenna and I, we directed and produced the film together. We'd previously directed and produced a documentary about Detroit firefighters called mm-hmm. Burn. Um, we love Detroit. Brenna grew up in Detroit. 
And we finished that movie. That was a couple of years of riding around on fire trucks, watching buildings blow up. And we were trying to figure out like, wow, how do we follow this up with something that's even like one fifth as exciting, but also still deals with the sorts of big issues that Byrne dealt with. And then Brenna, who knew the band better than I did because she was from Detroit and had uh, run a number of music magazines in Detroit. She came across an article with the band talking about how they'd been around for, you know, 20 plus years. Mm. The gang designation had just been announced and it sounded really interesting. So she cold called their office because they're, they're the only gang I'm aware of that has an office with a phone number that you can call. Right. Um, there's no, there's no 1-800 mafia. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, what, I don't know. I don't see the Crips and Bloods uh, having a t-shirt line online that you can buy. Um, and she called them up and just was like, Hey, we think we might want to make a documentary about you. And I mean, they literally said, okay, well, can you have a film crew here tomorrow? Because we're having a press conference uh, with the ACLU and announcing that we're suing the FBI. And that's the first scene in the movie. And we filmed that and it was, well, you'll see, you saw the movie. It was crazy. And uh, in the best possible way. And then the second scene in the movie was our first interview with them where we just sat down and said like, okay, that was bananas. Let's see if we actually, what you guys are all about. You can get to know us a little bit and see if we should do something. And it was an amazing interview. They were, in, they were even funnier than I thought they would be. They're hilarious, but mm. they were so, what I didn't expect was how open and honest they were. There was no question we asked that they didn't clearly give us exactly how they felt about it they weren't trying to they didn't have an agenda they just wanted to share their story and that's when we got really excited and uh not knowing it would take seven years to follow the case to sort of its not conclusion but i think we followed it to where it is going to conclude like it or not what type of perceptions did you have about um the, the insane clown posse um and just for people out there who don't know they're pretty much kind of like a shock rap group um consisting of uh, two members, essentially, Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope, and they wear clown makeup, et cetera. Because the first time I saw them was way back in the 90s. I used to follow um, WCW wrestling when I was a teenager. Yeah. And there were these two guys that just popped up. I didn't know much about their music or anything else. That was the first time I saw them. But then afterwards, I know a little bit about their music. And since then, I wouldn't call myself a juggler, but, you know, I, I know enough about them because I'm a heavy metal fan and, and sometimes both kind of... Uh, those kind of like um, categories of music kind of kind of merge, considering their their lyrical content kind of merges over with the heavy metal side of things. What about yourself? What was your kind of like first time you, you remember coming across them? What were your perceptions of them before meeting um, Island J and Shaggy Two Dope? Yeah, so for for people who don't know, uh, the band for decades has is I mean always voted the most hated band in the world, mm. and their fan base is i think in mainstream one of the most hated fan bases and uh, i mean saturday night live has done umpteen skits making fun of them and i i guess just knew what i i had heard their songs like everybody um here and there i didn't really follow the band i just kind of knew about them from pop pop culture i had this vague understanding that people hated the band and that the fans were supposed to be dangerous and um, then when we got into it, I mean, nothing could have been further from the truth. There are hilarious, but it was the nicest, most polite 
group of people I've ever filmed. Please and thank you. Can we help carry your equipment? Um, if we had to level our tripod during a show, all of a sudden there were like 20 hands with lighters so we could see. Uh, they were really great. I mean, they're just this fan base that wants to have a good time, be with people who are like they are, and just, just want to be left alone. Um, you know, for, for all their reputation, people make fun of them a lot because they call themselves a family, but they really mean it. I mean, whether we were at the gathering, which is their big annual sort of Burning Man style uh, get together or concerts or going home with different juggalos. I mean, time after time, I saw people show up with broke. They didn't even have clothes or food. And just the first juggler they came across is like, hey, what do you need? Do you need some clothes? Do you need food? Do you need a place to stay? They really do treat each other like family, even if that other juggler is a perfect stranger. And I mean, uh, I would love to have that in my life. How on earth is that a bad thing? You know, to me, it just seems like it's a, just like a group of kind of like outsiders and misfits kind of come together with the music as kind of like this core thing that just um, speaks to them as who they are as people. Um, and that's just like any other kind of music fan base that you have there. I think the differences that I found with them compared to, well, I'm not saying all bands, but most other bands is kind of like the look of the band, kind of like the makeup and such. And the, yeah. the, 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 this is kind of like an interesting contradiction where when you, whenever you're talking to Violin J or Shaggy 2 Dope, they're, like you said before, they are extremely open. They're very intimate in their feelings and in their backgrounds and the things that have gone through, but they're still wearing that makeup, so they're still rocking the gimmick. Um, of all the times that you're hanging out with them, how many times would you say percentage-wise they are still in their gear and in their makeup, even off-screen? They're still, you know, uh, what I guess a wrestling term would be called kayfabe. Uh, then uh, compared to, you know, just chilling out without the makeup on, I mean, are they always in that persona uh, ready to kind of like, you know, get being juggalo mode at any given moment? Um, I mean, they're to a certain extent, they're playing characters. So, I mean, would they go home to their wives and spend time with their kids? They take the makeup off. I mean, I've seen them without their makeup plenty of times, but I think there were kind of a couple things going on and they talk about it a little bit in the film, putting the makeup on gives them that freedom to just, say whatever they want to say. Uh, and I also, they look so different without the makeup. It didn't even make sense to interview them without it because it was just, there was such a disconnect. It just felt like, it just felt like two totally different people. Um, so I think, you know, over the course of the film, you just get to know them and you kind of start to forget about the makeup at a certain point. That's just their faces. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. 
The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. You know, this stuff kind of reminds me of what was going on in the 80s with um, with kind of like the whole kind of satanic panic kind of stuff. And also yeah. in regards to the whole kind of government reach um, when that group of, um, what were they called? Um, the Washington Wives, the PCPA, I think they were called. Um, yep. In the 80s, they had kind of like um, wanted to ban certain groups like heavy metal groups and hip hop groups as well. Um, the thing about that I remember about that stuff, because I'm a metal fan, I remember when I was going on back then, was that a lot of artists were coming out in defence of other artists. So you had, like, in Congress, Frank Zappa and John Denver talking on behalf of people like Dee Snyder and Blackie Lawless from Wasp. It was kind of like yep. people come together and, and, and fighting against this really kind of like, you know, uh, insane government overreach. When it comes to to this case with, the, with what the FBI were um, doing to the juggalos and to the insane clown posse and the whole kind of gang categorization. Did any other artists that you know of came out and spoke uh, on behalf of the insane clown posse in, in, in the defence of their fan base? Or was this a case of the ICP and the juggalos being on their own island and like just like, it's like the, the little man just facing off against the man um, without any help from anyone else out there? Yeah, it's a real David and Goliath story. Unfortunately, just like everything in their 30-year career, they had to do it all without any help from mainstream music. I know when they did their March on Washington, they sent out dozens or hundreds of letters to every band that had ever had a problem like this, and nobody came. Um, and, you know, they're not just hated within the sort of culture at large that doesn't know better there's a lot of hate within the music industry um and i think the honestly i think that comes from musicians resenting the success they've had and the freedom they've had they've done everything outside mainstream music business they've done it all themselves they've been doing it for 30 years they may be called the most hated band in the world but you know i defy you to find a band that is still together after 30 years, still likes each other. They're still best friends 30 years later and is still just going strong. When it comes to the whole kind of like gang aspect though, it's it's this interesting kind of splinter within the fan base, isn't it? I mean, there are, I'd say, you'd probably say what 90 to 95% of, of the people who follow the band are just like everyday kind of people. Um, and throughout the documentary, you showed all the different walks of life. Um, economic, professional, um, you know, uh, spiritual, religious, anything like that, what, what, what have it. Um, but there is a subset of people who classify themselves as juggalo um, who are affiliated with these kind of gangs and like gang activity. To me, though, where does the line, where is the line drawn between a fan of the music and people who say hijack a look of a fan base and then use that within, you know, their own like nefarious kind of acts? Where does that kind of line 
across there, Tom, do you think, between what is a juggalo as the people who call themselves juggalos and then do all these kind of despicable acts? Because it is just such an interesting thing because I don't think I remember seeing that in any other fan base, maybe say for, I don't know, maybe Slayer or something like that where you've got really extreme elements of people in there. But, you know, I've been to Slayer concerts myself. They're probably the best concerts I've been to. I never had any problems there. Yeah, you take a... So the film certainly doesn't shy away from the crimes committed by people who call themselves juggalos. Uh, and some of which I think are very clearly inspired by the music. Um, you know, somebody hacks somebody up with a hatchet singing an ICP song. I, I don't think you can argue that the music wasn't an influence, but you take a million of anybody, you're going to find some really bad and damaged people in that group. You take a million people who follow a band that specifically sings about trauma and struggles and growing up in abusive households. Yeah. Maybe that percentage is going to be higher, but I don't think that should make the fan base a gang any more than uh, Dodgers fans should be a gang because you know, the, the Crips in LA wear Dodgers hats to identify themselves. I don't see how that's any different. Um, yeah. Yes, and, and just for people out there to think about it as well, uh, the Night Stalker, the um, serial killer from the 80s, Richard Ramirez, he used to wear an ACDC hat um, yeah. when he committed his crime. So that's something that's, that's very clearly associated with a musical act, but that's not to say that, you know, Angus Young and his uh, people and people in, in Melbourne and, and around the world who followed that band should be associated as serial killers. Sure. I mean, if you like Taxi Driver, does that mean you should go to jail because John Hinckley Jr. was... Uh, inspired by that to shoot President Reagan. I just, I think, I think at the end of the day, what it really is, is our government trying to legislate taste, which I think is, is different and is even worse than the satanic panic of the 80s because this is a government agency passing. Mm. Without any due process, any appeals process, no one's ever been taken off the gang list saying that because you're a fan of this kind of music, which if you see the movie, I think most people realize, oh, in reality, it's like watching Evil Dead. I mean, yeah. it's 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 violent, but it's clearly tongue in cheek. It's clearly got a point. Um, and I think the other thing that we discovered that we talk about a little bit in the film is that. America hates the poor. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the first group of people the FBI did this to is a bunch of poor kids. Yeah. And in our society, as with many societies, once a group of underrepresented people start to band together and get some power, the people in power get scared. What is the gathering like? Um, you feature it in the documentary for people who don't know. It's an annual festival, isn't it? Of like, I like where the juggalos come together. Um, and uh, you, you probably have like maybe tens of thousands of people there every year. Um, what's that experience like for yourself as someone who is, has been not only documenting the band and, and, and the fans, but here you are in the sea of juggalos? I imagine it will be an experience. It, it's an experience that's kind of impossible to describe. I mean, it's, it's like a cross between Burning Man and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just, it's, there's an entire carnival set up there with Ferris wheels and rides. And yet there's people walking around, some people who are completely naked, people who are dressed like horror movie people. There's, 
a, 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 a tent with uh, uh, little people uh, lap dances. There's Fago launching. There's just the craziest stuff you've ever seen. There's people launching industrial grade fireworks every five minutes. And it's really, really fun. It's uh, the ICP concert. There is one of the best concerts you can go to. They, they now get big acts. When we were there, I think digital underground was playing Cypress Hill and imagine hanging out with 10,000 people who are from, have come together from all their like little small towns or something where they might be the only juggalo and they're there to see their friends and party and then clean up after themselves. Um, and I think on the surface, it's really scary for people. We get into this in the film where they're going to have a, uh, they're going to have their annual gathering at a place called Kaiser, Missouri, which is where the hell's angels have their annual get together. Okay. Hell's angels are fine. No worries. And even with that, the townspeople get so scared. They start arming themselves and preparing to shoot the juggalos if they show up. Mm. And, but then you go to the gathering itself everybody's really nice. I, we spent some time, it's in the film with the law enforcement who were working the gathering the year we went. They loved the Juggalos. They didn't have a single arrest. They're, the people they're terrified of are the country music fans because they have drunken disorderlies and attempted assaults and rapes and all sorts of stuff when the country fans show up. It's very interesting, kind of like a contradiction there between what people's perceptions are compared to what the reality is. What is the current standing in regards to the FBI and the Juggalos? Are the Juggalos still considered a criminal? Uh, well, it's very loose. Loosest. We don't call it a criminal association because it's not so much. I mean, people, they call themselves family, but it's not like a structured lineage. It's not like a mafia or anything like that. So what is the the the, the classification now? Is it still there? Is it the, the whole kind of like national gang registry? Are, they, are Juggalos still on that list? Yeah, they're not going to get removed from the list. At this point, I think everybody, including the ACLU, believes that. And no one's ever been taken off of it. The FBI hasn't apologized. I think legally the FBI is in a position where they probably can't apologize or admit wrongdoing because they're going to get sued by a million people. Mm. Um, at the same time, the film ends on a, on a high note in that as a result of their fight, the band does slowly but surely make headway in the court of public opinion. And although they've remained on the gang list, I think it's reached a point where the average person and the average law enforcement member does see that it was a ridiculous designation. Um, that being said, the collateral damage has been tremendous. So many people have had their lives turned upside down by this designation. Well, the fight isn't over, and for people to watch how it all unfolded and what is at stake, I highly recommend you check out the United States of Insanity releasing in the States December 10 on demand in digital. Tom Putnam, I thank you so very much for your time today. It's a fascinating documentary, it really is, and like it's so, uh, it's, I think it's really a pressing issue. I think government overreach in regards to things like this have reached kind of peak peak uh, highs these days um, and a peak level of silliness as well. Um, and I think it's really important people watch this film and, and see how that silliness is in action at the moment. Um, so United States have been sending Watch it, everyone. And Tom Putnam, I thank you so very much for your time today. Thank you. Can I, can I also let folks know it's uh, actually releasing worldwide December 10th. So it'll Excellent. be on uh, yeah, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Xbox, where if you have them, you can see it December 10th and DVD. Excellent. That's so great to know. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks, Matt.